episode 89, Can EHRs Actually Deliver Quality Improvements? Today, I speak with Max Stroud from Galen Healthcare Solutions. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. We, as an industry, have now, in general, completed the first wave of EHR implementations. We have transitioned from paper to digital. In the process, we've collected a lot of data. Most of this collected data we collected to serve our meaningful use attestation. In other words, we successfully proved that we are actually using our EHR systems. Or maybe we collected other data for the purpose of common measures for reimbursement or government or payer requirements. But now we need to have a moment because we need to retool and optimize our EHR systems and processes that we've been busy MacGyvering together over the past five or so years to actually practice the best medicine. What does it take to optimize our EHR technology to drive the best or better patient outcomes? Today, I talked to Max Stroud from Galen Healthcare Solutions. My name is Stacy Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Max. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. What's the current state of affairs at the intersection of quality indicators and EHR systems? Well, that's a really interesting question because people think of quality indicators and they think of what are you doing preventatively for your diabetes or for your chronic care conditions. And we have a lot of alerts in electronic health record systems, but most of those alerts are based on how EHR systems have been built. We have alerts that are mainly based on meaningful use and clinical quality measures and government programs that were pushing people to adopt EHRs. So now that we have EHRs in a place where they're widely used and adopted, providers are really looking for different things in their indicators and their alerts. Like what? I've been working recently with an organization that wants to track in the ambulatory care system preventive care for COPD so they can reduce readmissions in the hospital system. But the EHR isn't built in a way that makes that a really easy process because the things that are getting tracked that we have standard reports on are, are you recording your smoking status and your weight at every visit? The EHR systems are set up to track things that are tied to reimbursement or tied to meaningful use, for example, diabetes. So there's already built-in fields for tracking metabolic-related markers, but there's nothing in there from a standard set standpoint relative to COPD, for example. Right. Or the organization has specific things that they want to track based on medical science, on the latest research. We did a really good job of making the paper process electronic. And then following that, the meaningful use programs moved to get more adoption. And so a lot of the quality indicators that were created were to say, are you actually using the EHR? Like, yes, you bought it. Yes, you got this money, but are you entering your data into the system? And so there's currently a move in the physician community 
to get to a place of I don't I no longer want to prove that I'm using the EHR. I want to use this as a tool to make my practice better. I want to use this as a tool to make practicing medicine better. I want this to be easier to track my patients by population, by health condition. In some ways, even though we have an electronic system, we're still looking at patients as they come into the clinic as if we had a paper chart in front of us. Is that more a matter of getting the right fields inside the EHR system so that appropriate data can be tracked? Or is it a bigger question than that? I think it's a little bigger than that. I think that where the future of health records is going, and Karen DeSalvo actually said this just recently in a blog article, centering the data around a person and not a record. I definitely want to circle back around to that because that is the holy grail, the whole interoperability question. What I've been seeing lately, exactly like you're saying, you've got this EHR system, which at its core was built back in the day to be an administrative system, and then it kind of got co-opted to provide clinical utility. And I wonder how well we're doing here. So let me ask you a very operational question. Say you do have an ambulatory practice and they have decided, for example, that they want to prevent readmissions with COPD. And there is, as far as my limited knowledge goes, there's a pretty tight protocol around that. Like you're supposed to do that, what's it called, a spiral something or other, Mm -hmm. in order to check breathing. And you're supposed to do this at the first visit and then that at the second visit. And like, there's definitely a pathway that has been established. What is the typical way, if I'm a physician office and I say, okay, I've got this clinical pathway and it's really important that nurses and doctors and other care extenders are all working together, the medical assistant needs to do this and then the nurse needs to do that and then following that, the doctor needs to do this. Is an EHR capable of delivering that kind of care pathway within the EHR system without plugins and things? It actually is. It depends a little bit on what EHR you're on. If you're on a very simple mom and pop, Greenway Health, those smaller EHRs, not so much. But if you're on an Allscripts, Epic, Meditech, it takes customization. You can't do it right out of the box. You need to have people who know what they're doing. And to make it really work, you have to have an iterative decision-making process. You need to have the physicians at the table, you need to have the nurses at the table, you need to have the system administrators so that you can make sure you know what are all the data points and then what's the ideal workflow and then how do we put that into the system. When you say iterative decision-making process, do you mean that the process by which that workflow gets established and by which the electronic version of that workflow gets placed or integrated within the EHR, you need to do that very well. Like, in other words, I can't just sit in my office, plug this thing in, and then think it's going to work well. I worked with a small practice. It was an arm of a larger practice, but we took an oncology practice up on all scripts that most people using oncology have some sort of plug-in or add-on for chemotherapies. But this organization just had one small rural oncology practice. They weren't buying an add-on, but they were able to invest the time in doing it right so that we could find a way to document 
you know, this really critical health information where exact measures and releasing patients to get their next round of chemotherapy was extremely important. We're able to really take a look at, you know, what is the current EHR you have today? What are all the data fields? What are the things that you need for optimal patient care? And it was a lot of time spent with that practice, but in the end, it was more cost effective than buying an add-on that they weren't going to use for a long period of time. Once you create that workflow and now you have, for lack of a better word, a template, is that something that practices can then share? You know what I mean? Like if one practice does a template from a technology standpoint, can templates be shared across practices or are they always custom? A lot of organizations like Epic or Allscripts will deliver a set of templates. They often have template libraries where customers can share or pull down content that other people have created. There are some user groups where people share content. I think invariably, there do need to be some tweaks whenever you implement something new to make it work for the people that you're implementing it for. And that can be minor things, but just whether you have a five-doctor practice with one nurse or five nurses and three doctors, you know, just kind of depending on the organizational structure of what kind of clinic you're working with, there may need to be some tweaks around the workflow or specific details based on your state requirements. So I think kind of the broiler plates can definitely be shared, but it's always good to have an eye on how are we going to use this here and how are we going to make it meaningful for our users so that we really get the data that we want out of it. Do you feel like your average practice these days has somebody on staff that is capable of doing those kinds of tweaks? In other words, as we all know that on staff in any doctor's office, there's certain or any office, there's certain key skills. And one of those key skills is obviously clinical. Do we think the industry is evolving forward to the extent that a key skill in a physician office is becoming, how do you customize your EHR system? You know what I mean? We've got billers, we've got clinical, we've got, those are all core skills. But is this also the data collection or, or what are the new core skills that a physician office needs? Yeah, I mean, I think probably less at the physician office level than the admin level. You know, you need system admins. And sadly, in a lot of situations, most of those system admins are people who did the implementation. And since then, their job description has changed to other duties as assigned. And they are working flat out all the time to keep track of maintenance and user builds and upgrades and trainings. And that they don't always have the time to step back and say, what is the best way we can do this? Best way for the system, best way for the providers, best way for the end users. And that's actually one of the things that I've been really interested in lately is working on kind of a full quality improvement. We've got these EHRs that have been around now for five years. Implementation is well over. System admins are overworked. People want to use their EHR differently. The vision of the future in the cloud is way far off. So while we're working towards the future, how can we really make 
the system today grow and change as practice is changing, as needs are changing. And the more data we are exposed to, the more data we want. We've gotten really good at storing data. We're not as good at using data. And so like getting better at saying, okay, we have this data, how are we going to use it? And so, I mean, you can probably hear me getting fired up. That's one of the things I'm really passionate about. I'm so excited to hear that because I was just listening to a different podcast the other day where someone was basically saying data in and of itself or that famous Todd Park quote, which I have repeated endlessly on this podcast, you can't slather data all over yourself and be healed. So how are people gaining insight from the data? You know, how are people visualizing the data or making stories from the data? Or like, what's your advice there? What do you recommend? How do we do this? Well, I think there's kind of two pieces. So one, there are all these conversations about big data and lots of data and uh, business intelligence, you know, huge buzzword. And the question I always start with is, well, what do you want to know? And one of the things that I think is really exciting in that space is as developers have been thinking about, well, we don't always know what we want to know, or we don't know until we're a little further down the road, is the development of data lakes and really being able to capture, like there's so much data in the EHR that's not really presented in a way that you can look at entire populations or everybody with this diagnosis or the analytical tools are a little bit clunky. And so having a repository for your data that you can look at in different ways, depending on what your needs are and research and look at, I think is going to be pivotal as we move forward. And that's not something that everybody has the capability to do in-house. Now we're kind of moving from here's the workflow into how do we manage population? How do we draw the reports that we need in order to identify patients who might be at risk for X or patients that are on the verge of something bad happening? Right. Do you kind of see those almost as two separate streams of action? Like on one side of the table, you've got workflow. And then on the other side of the table, you've got analytical reports and chronic care management types of population health management types of activities. Like in most EHR systems and in most practices that you've seen, are those two separate operations or are they all folded together somehow or is this still incredibly TBD? I would say it's incredibly TBD. I think that if you look at the best in breed hospitals like a Sloan Kettering, like they're doing amazing things with their data, but they have the resources to do that. And most of your middle-sized regional medical centers don't have those kinds of resources, or they're still struggling with what information do we need and how do we get it? And I kind of think that any organization today really needs to be kind of doing concurrent planning. The first line of planning is, you know, how are we doing continual quality improvement today with our users today, collecting the data that we want, doing the care that we want to provide, and then simultaneously looking at what is it that we want to be doing in the future once we collect this data, what are we going to do with it? What do we want to report on? And having some really good governance in place to help make those decisions with everybody at the table. Is your recommendation step one, 
sit down with provider leadership and really ascertain, you know, the example that you gave at the top of this interview was somebody thought to themselves at the the practice that you're working with, hey, we got to cut readmissions. And then somehow or another, they figured out that untreated COPD was a major cause of readmissions. So then they got down to the place of, okay, we got to figure out which one of these patients isn't taking care of their CBD. But like that top line conversation has to happen first. You know, like, what are we trying to do as an organization? What are our core imperatives? And then yeah. drill down from there. And if you don't do that, then you're just going to wind up with a whole bunch of data that you don't quite know what to do with. Exactly. Operation one is to figure out what sort of reports might be necessary, for example, and then build the data, make sure that the data is being collected within the workflow, for example, such that those reports can be derived. Right. And that you're using kind of the best research practices and things that are not going to impede the doctors who are practicing and that they're invested in that process. So what we came up with was a template to live inside a note so that anytime someone in the family medicine or IM department saw somebody with COPD, they could do a quick assessment of some specific data points that tended to be indicators of how their COPD was doing and if they needed some treatment, that that would get evaluated that process. So even if you came in for, you're having knee pain for your arthritis, if you're a COPD patient, your COPD would get assessed, even if it was just a quick string of questions. That's actually a really interesting point. Someone was talking the other day, the more data points you ask for, the lower the quality of the responses. So I could see that if there's a number of things that a practice has realized, if there's too many priorities, there's no priorities. And what's going to wind up happening is the doctor's not going to ask the patient 30 questions about their diabetes and COPD if they came in simply because they have a terrible cold. And all the patient wants to do is get the meds and go home. Um, so have you noticed that? And what do you think the best way is to deal with a situation where you've got to really prioritize? That, again, is really being engaged in the dialogue with the providers and the users and having an engaged governance team. Because I think it is, it's very easy to have a list of questions. And some are really, really important. So I do, when I'm at prompt care and somebody asks me if I'm safe at home, I'm like, Yes, I'm safe at home. But I know that is a really important question for a lot of people. And so I kind of grin and bear it. (laughs) I think it is really easy to come up with those lists of questions and we're going to do this every time and that it can become really just overwhelming. And that's where providers get to the place where they say, I feel like my job is just data entry. I'm not practicing medicine. And that's what we want to get away from. Providers need to be able to practice medicine in the way that they want to. And so having them involved in the conversations and invested in the changes and pushing back, I wholeheartedly welcome those conversations where providers are pushing back and saying, no, this is not clinically relevant. No, I don't want to ask this question every time because I'd rather have that conversation and hammer that out than push something out that's not going to get used and then run analytics on it that are not going to be valuable. That makes sense. I was reading an article the other day 
be interested in your opinion on it. It was a physician who I don't think she knew enough to use. Like she didn't she wasn't familiar enough with the glossary to use these terms. But effectively, what she was talking about was the difference between structured and unstructured data. And she stated this in the context of stories. She's like, you know, if a patient's story is really important, I need to be able to write down that this patient's parent just died and that, you know, she's under terrible stress, which is why her blood pressure is so high at this moment. And she was struggling with the HR systems because if you've got a box to fill in their blood pressure, now all of a sudden it looks like this patient's blood pressure is spiking or something. And there's no place really to document the why and the wherefore of it or that this patient is going through a very difficult time, which kind of goes back to a point that I've seen made multiple times lately that what goes on in a clinical environment is maybe has a 20% impact on the total patient outcomes. You know, 80% of patient outcomes are driven by things outside of the clinical setting. But if you don't have unstructured data, like how do you capture all of those other things which might be very relevant? And I could see how as a physician that might be very frustrating. Yeah, I'm a big proponent of free text fields. I think that structured data, if you're looking at outcomes and drivers and you want to look at analytics, yes, absolutely you need structured data for certain data points. Very often when we're adding anything from a vitals panel to a new note template, it's really good practice to add an open text field so the provider can put a bit of the story there or the details or this is important to note. It's true. When, when notes become all structured data and then even things that are copied forward from the last visit to the next, they really start to feel like they lose relevance. And we don't want to do that. We want to have relevant clinical notes for the patient that's in front of you. And there's exciting stuff happening. And again, this is like very future oriented, but there's really interesting stuff happening with natural language processing and research on pulling data out of a written note or a written document as opposed to just having the structured. I think right now it's a necessity to have the structured data, but it's not worth eliminating the unstructured. Is it easy to see that unstructured data or can a system be developed or, or fixed such that that unstructured data is just as visible as it would have been in a patient chart? Or do I need to click around 18 times in most systems in order to see what my notes were the last time I saw a patient or what the earlier physicians, there's someone else who saw the patient the last time? Yeah. What's interesting, right, is that in a paper world, very often the practice was the doctor would look at the last note from the last time they saw you. They'd review that, they'd see you, and then they'd write a new note. And there was not a lot of, they might flip back and check the last labs or the last couple labs, but there wasn't this ability to kind of flow things over time that we've gotten with the electronic record. And I think we're still kind of figuring that out. And a lot of providers their practice today is still, I'm going to read the last note. I'm going to see, talk to the patient in front of me. I'm going to write a new note. And that's not bad clinical practice. That's, you know, they, they're dealing with the presenting problem at the time. But now we have this opportunity to look at that patient care in a longitudinal fashion. And we have to figure out how we're going to do that in a way that's cost effective, in a way that's proactive, and a way that supports their health and where we can partner with them. It's a lot of stuff we're figuring out. 
<laughs> Indeed. So when <laughs> when should someone call Galen? When should they pick up the phone or, or what would you recommend that someone do when they are struggling with their EHR system and trying to bend it to their will? I think that that's exactly the moment when you, you are trying <laughs> to bend the EHR to your will. <laughs> that is when you give us a call because most EHRs are built to a standard, you know, an out of the box. This is the the certified workflows, this is the gold standard of how you use this product. And that does not always mesh up with how you practice medicine in Colorado or Utah or Florida. And so people often think they have a broken system and they don't really. And so one of the things that we've been doing lately, I think anytime you want to bend the EHR to your will, definitely that's a place where you could give us a call. We've been doing a lot of optimizations we're really digging in and making systems work for the users and for the data points and for the administration and making it a friendlier environment to be working in. And I don't think you have to ditch your whole EHR in order to make that happen. I think a lot of people get stuck there. They think everyone's unhappy. We have all these things that are, you know, tasks that are not getting worked. Providers are upset at the number of clicks they have. It's not a reason to rip and replace your EHR. And so optimizations are another kind of core piece that you can come to us with. I can certainly see how that could easily happen. So at the very beginning, when EHRs first started to take the world by storm, nobody knew what they were doing. So I'm sure a lot of the earlier setups were learning as we go along. So day one, we probably were not as capable of setting up a clean, optimized workflow and interface and system as we might be today. But those things that were set up on day one are still fossils hanging around in those systems. So the grass is probably not always greener and probably a lot of it does have to do with cleaning up Mm -hmm. what we already have rather than throwing it all out and trying to start again. Absolutely. I thank you so much for being on the program today, Max. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far. There are over 50 at this point with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.